God, we admit to you this morning that we cannot understand your word apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. God, we may be able to understand it in a superficial way on the surface, but we cannot make this word penetrate our hearts apart from you. And so, God, that's where we come to you and we ask that you would do a work that only you can do. God, that you would expose perhaps darkness that might be in our hearts with the light of Christ today. Lord, I pray that you would move people from death to life this morning. Lord, that you would give the gift of faith to those who have not believed yet in the light of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the world in which we live in would be a miserable place without light. In fact, studies have shown that living in darkness for an extended period of time can have a negative impact on our health. When you take fish, for example, or cave fish who constantly live in the darkness, you can see the impact that it has on them physically. That when you compare cave fish to uh, maybe surface fish who live in oceans or rivers, you can tell that there's an impact on even their bodies physically. Look at this, for example. This is a Mexican cave fish. You may not be able to see this uh, very clearly, but because cave fish, like this one here, live in darkness, they don't use their eyes. And so as a result, they just lose them. They, they actually become blind. They lose the pigmentation in their skin. Even their jaws and their teeth, they develop abnormally because they have adapted to a lifestyle of living in darkness. Those cave fish, even, uh, they don't sleep well. When you compare them to other fish who live in the daylight, they're restless creatures. They're uh, constantly moving around with very little sleep. Now, of course, there are warnings for us when we think about cave fish who live in the darkness. There are spiritual uh, warnings for us. That for cave fish, they don't realize that there's light. They're constantly living in darkness because that's all that they know. And for us who might be here this morning who live in a constant state of spiritual darkness, you may not even know it, that there's a light through the light of Christ that wants to shine into your hearts today to provide a different way of living. That in the same way that for a cave fish who lives in darkness, who are restless creatures. The same is true for the soul of one who lives in spiritual darkness. And for those who kind of wander in this world living in darkness, there's a type of fatigue to their souls that, that just kind of weighs on them. That a blind soul is a, a tired soul, constantly looking for things in this world to satisfy them in ways that only Jesus can. And so this morning, we're going to look at verses 9 through 13, and and we're going to see the light of the world. We're going to see the light of Christ, and really three things about Jesus and about this light. First, we're going to see this light has been revealed. We're going to see this light has been rejected, and we're going to see this light has been received. Now, before we get into the passage this morning, I just want to say on the front end, that for those who are living in darkness this morning, and, and you may not even know that you're living in darkness, and I'm praying that God exposes that reality perhaps in your heart today, I want to proclaim to you today that it doesn't have to be that way. That if you're living in darkness and you don't know it, like Jesus wants to shine his light into your heart to move you from living in darkness and move you into his marvelous light today. I want you to know that, and I'm praying for that today. And maybe you're here today and you have received the light. 
I just want to challenge you today before we dive in. Are there areas of your heart in which darkness has crept into your life? Are there areas where you need to keep receiving the light of Christ today because you've opened up an opportunity for darkness to come in? I'm praying that God exposes those areas in your life today. So three things about the light uh, that we'll see in verses 9 through 13. Number one is that the light has been revealed. The light has been revealed. In verses 6 through 8, what we saw last week was the important role of a witness. And we saw John the Baptist came not as the light of the world, but he came to testify about the light of the world, that he came to be a witness about Jesus. And so verses 6 through 8 were basically to explain that in order for people to believe we need a witness, then verse 9 is about Jesus being revealed so that people can actually believe. That in verse 9, John introduces for us for the very first time this idea that Jesus has come down to earth. That he's starting to introduce this idea of the incarnation of the Word. And now we'll look at that all of next week, but John gives us a sneak peek. Verse 9, he says that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Even the first phrase of verse 10 shows us that this light, whom we know is a person by the name of Jesus, was in the world. Now notice the way that John describes Jesus here. He doesn't just call him the light. He calls him the true light, meaning real or genuine. John does this all throughout the gospel to talk about different things. He kind of throws the word true in front of it. He says this about true worshipers in John chapter 4, verse 23. The true bread, uh, true bread referring to Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 32. The true vine in chapter 15, verse 1. The true God in chapter 17, verse 3. But the way that John is using this word true is not so much comparing what is false and what is true, but he's using this to describe what is full or what is ultimate. That what John is saying here is that Jesus is the ultimate or full light, not just true and genuine. When you think about this idea of true in John chapter 6, verse 32, for example, when John is describing Jesus as the true bread, what John is saying here is he's comparing Jesus as the bread of heaven compared to the bread that was given to the Israelites, the manna in the Old Testament as they were wandering throughout the wilderness. What John is not saying here is that that manna was fake or wasn't real. Of course it was real and genuine. But what he's saying here as Jesus being the true bread is that Jesus is the ultimate bread. Jesus is the bread that satisfies our hungry souls. And so in the same way here, Jesus is the ultimate self-disclosure of God to man. He is the full revelation of God to the world. Now the next phrase there, he says, the true light which gives light to everyone. This does not mean a universal illumination. This does not mean that Jesus came down and, and everybody got saved in that moment. But what this means is this is every person without distinction, not every person without exception. I don't know if you read that and you're like, wait, not everybody is saved. What does this verse actually mean? Well, D.A. Carson explains it this way. He says, think about this like a town with only one teacher. Though not all the citizens are the teacher's students, he is nevertheless the teacher for everyone in that town. So Christ is the only true light God has given to the world, and therefore the light for every man. 
And so for every single person on the face of the planet, Jesus Christ is the only true light revealing who God actually is. This is why Jesus came. He came to reveal exactly who God is and what he is like. He came to make the invisible God visible so that we might believe in him. Now, the beautiful reality of Jesus revealing who God is, is that that didn't just stop 2,000 years ago. That even though Jesus ultimately revealed who God is like when he came down to the earth, Jesus hasn't stopped doing that by way of his Holy Spirit. In fact, every time you open up the Bible, every time you hear the word of God preached accurately, whenever God is being talked about with accuracy, Jesus is revealing who God is and what he is like. And every single time Jesus is revealing God, you have a decision to make. You have a decision to make to either receive what you are hearing as true and submit to it, or you can reject it and continue to live how you want to live. There are really only two options, and that's the way that John describes the light here in verses 10 through 13, that as Jesus came and he revealed who God is like, there are two responses. Here's response number one in verses 10 through 11, light rejected. That John here shows us that when Jesus came, and even today, many reject who God is. In verse 10, John tells us that uh, people reject Jesus because he was unrecognized. In verse 11, they rejected Jesus because he was unwelcomed. Now, John is showing us here in these verses a tragic irony that even though Jesus created the whole universe, his creation still rejected him. Like that is an appalling truth when you actually think about the reality of that. That the one who said, let there be light, is rejected by his creation. That the one who took dust and formed Adam, the one who put every star in the sky and knows it by name, is rejected by his own creation. John wants us to feel the, the weight of that. That the one who came and created everything and yet is rejected by some. Now this idea of of being rejected, even verse 11, he says that his own rejected him. This is a theme that will take us throughout the end of chapter 12. That his own, this is a reference to uh, the Jewish people. His own Jewish people did not recognize that Jesus was the promised Messiah. In fact, we'll see non-Jewish people who receive Jesus, like the the woman at the well and the non-Jewish official who, who believe in Jesus and receive him. And look, what is so astounding throughout this gospel are people who believe that they were walking in the light, and yet in reality, they were actually walking in darkness and yet did not know it. That is one of the most bizarre realities that we read throughout this gospel, and primarily with religious people, with religious leaders who thought they were walking in the light, who were obeying God, And yet darkness was creeping into their hearts, and yet they were completely unaware of it. Look, there there may not be a more dangerous place to be in spiritually when you think you are walking in the light, and yet darkness has crept into your heart, and you are unaware of it. Look, there might be some in this room who are here today who you think that you're walking in the light, and yet darkness has crept into your life, and yet you don't even know it. 
And so look, because this is so dangerous, I just want to give by way of application here just three warning signs that darkness has started to creep into your life and you may not be aware of it. Three warning signs here of, of ways that you might be rejecting the light. Number one, there's a numbness to the things of God. There's a numbness to the things of God that for someone where the, the darkness is starting to creep in, there's a, a hardness towards God's word. There's a hardness towards God's people or to, towards God's agenda for your life. That there's no more fighting for godliness. There, there's no more fighting against sin. You're, you're no longer waging war against sin. You're just kind of submitting to it. Romans chapter 13 verses 12 through 14 says that the night is nearly over and the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Look, someone who has allowed darkness to creep into their lives, they're not clothing themselves with Jesus. They're not putting on the armor of light. And Paul says, do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Someone who is living in darkness, that's all that they're thinking about is how to gratify themselves. But they're no longer fighting against sin. They might be sitting under the preaching of God's word, but they're unmoved. They might be around God's people, but when God's people start talking about God, they're uninterested. That God might feel like he's at a distance, but that's how they prefer it. They like it that way. And so the numbness towards the things of God is the new normal for someone who's beginning to reject the light of Christ. Secondly, another warning sign is that your spiritual life is unknown to others. Spiritual life is unknown to others, that that no one really knows how you're doing spiritually, that nobody has free access to ask you the hard questions about how your soul is doing, that perhaps you've strategically walled off people from, from any sort of accountability, and you're beginning to hide sin in your life. There's nobody who has permission to turn on the lights in your heart and say, watch out for sin. Like, you know that feeling. You know what it's like when you're trying to walk around in a dark room. When the lights are off, you're, you're bumping into things and you're stubbing your toe. That's how it is for someone who begins to walk in darkness. Nobody has permission to turn on the lights and point out the sin that you might be blind to. Look, I just want to encourage you today, if you have people that you're doing life with, maybe in small group or your family or discipleship in any way, one of the most loving things that you can do to those people is to ask them about their walk with the Lord. That because you're in community with them, because you're a brother or sister in Christ, you have full permission to do that. One of the best things you can ask them is, hey, what has the Lord been teaching you lately? Or, or maybe, well, what's your biggest challenge spiritually right now that I can be praying for you about? And just by asking those questions, you're not accusing You're not investigating, but just by asking those loving questions, you're turning on the lights in their lives spiritually. You're being being a good brother or a good sister in Christ, not allowing someone to live in isolation. Like you need to assume 
that every single person in this room, every single person that you do community with is fighting something, that they are battling something, that we cannot assume that people are just walking in the light easily or without, without fighting or wrestling with temptation, that every person you engage with in your small group, as you're praying for them, as you're thinking about them, they are going through a battle with sin. And if you're assuming otherwise, you're not loving them well. So this is another warning sign that spiritual life is unknown to others. Number three here, last thing I'll point out, is that there's no urgency towards rooting out the sin in their life. Someone who's allowing sin to come into their life through darkness, their attitude towards sin is, man, this this isn't that bad. I've got this. I've got this under control. Like, I can can handle this on my own, that there's, there's a failure to grasp the magnitude of darkness that is surrounding someone who is rejecting the lights. And what tends to happen if, if they're a Christian or if they're going to church is that they'll try to remove the symptoms of that sin and yet they won't dig deep enough to get the root issue. And so that sin is just going to manifest itself in all kinds of other ways. And yet the reality of this and something that John's going to expose within us is that our sin problem is far deeper than we actually realize. The Bible Bible does not teach that we are basically good people with a few flaws that we need to correct. The Bible does not teach that we're basically okay. We just need some education and some information about how to be better people relationally. The Bible doesn't say that all you need is a couple therapy sessions to to maybe go into your childhood and talk about how your parents raised you or how they did this or they didn't do that. No, no, the, the Bible speaks about sin in a deeper reality that the root issue is actually our hearts. That the root issue is that we prefer and we love darkness rather than the light of Christ. That that is our root issue. And so what we need more than anything is not just to turn over a new leaf. What we need more than anything is not just new habits. What we need is a new heart. That we need a new birth of Jesus Christ by way of his spirit to regenerate our hearts and give us new desires and give us new cravings for the things of God, the things that are in the light. Look, it is, it is the light of Christ who does this so lovingly in our lives, who who draws us out of the darkness and allows us not to hide our sin. It is the light of Christ that allows us not to justify our sin, not to rationalize our sin, not to blame shift our sin. That is the loving light of Christ that draws us out of the shadows and says, come as you are. Come with all of your brokenness, Come with the dirtiness of your sin, the darkness of your sin, and find forgiveness, find healing, find love, find acceptance. And as that light of Christ draws us out of the darkness and we run into the loving arms of God, he wraps his arms around us and he whispers in our ears, welcome home. He says, man, I've been waiting for you. I've been calling you. I've been wooing you to step out of darkness and into the light. He says, don't go back to darkness. Look, some need to hear this this morning, that it is the loving kindness of God 
that leads us to repentance. It is the loving kindness of God's grace that allows us to step out of darkness that melts the hardness of our hearts. That it's his love that unhinges our attachment to darkness as God turns on the lights and we see God for who he really is and therefore we see ourselves. Look, if you're living in darkness today, if you're rejecting the light of Christ, I want you to listen to this very, very carefully. That the more that you come and you sit under the preaching of God's word, and and the more that you stay in an unconverted position of rejecting the light, despite the clarity of the scriptures, despite the promptings of the Holy Spirit, despite the exhortations from the pulpit, the more that you reject the light of Christ, the greater your spiritual danger actually becomes. The more you reject Christ, the more callous your heart becomes, the more blind to your own need your heart actually is. Like This is why the Bible always talks about the now. It says now is the appointed time. Now, today is the day of salvation. That God to this morning is calling you to step out of darkness and to receive the light of Christ's forgiveness. Look, we're going we're gonna to look at this in John chapter 5, down the road here, that the Father actually gives all authority to Jesus Christ to judge the world based on if they receive the light or if they reject the light. And the Bible talks about that Jesus will judge the world. And there's good news for us today that that hasn't come yet, that the judgment of God has not fallen on us yet, which means there is still time for you to receive the grace of Jesus Look, I'm praying for that today. I'm praying for some who are living in darkness, even in this room, that you might have uh, Sunday's best on. You might look cleaned up and spiritual on the outside. And yet between you and the Lord, you know that your heart is far from God. You know there's darkness within your heart. I'm praying that the scales from your eyes falls and that you see the light of Christ and that you walk in that today, that you stop rejecting Christ. So if the Spirit of God is prompting you to do that this morning, you're wondering, how do I do that? What does that even look like? Well, John actually helps us to to understand what that looks like in verses 12 through 13. John actually explains for us here in these verses how to become a child of God, how to receive the light of Christ. And look, if you've already received the light of Christ, don't zone out here. You need to know theologically how you became a child of God. You need to be able to lead someone who isn't a child of God, into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so how does this take place? Look at verses 12 and 13. Notice the second phrase in verse 12 where John says, He, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. Now, how does that happen? How how does God adopt people into his family? Well, look at the first phrase in verse 12. He says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, Okay, there John says two things very significant for ways to become a child of God to receive the light. He says, receive Jesus and believe in his name. Receive Jesus, believe in his name. First, we receive him. What does this mean? Well, to receive here literally means to take hold of. It means to to recognize Jesus for who he really is, to welcome 
all that he is into your life and to submit to him for all that he is in your life. Look, when Lindsay and I got married, uh, we took hold of each other. We received each other into our lives. That she took my last name, we moved in together, and we started to do life together. That we were one flesh. But it wasn't as if I said to her, hey, I'm glad that we're married, but don't touch my remote. Like, I'm going to watch what I want to watch on TV. Like, you do your thing over there, and I'm going to do my thing over here. That's not what we did in marriage. That's not what it means to receive each other in marriage. And look, that's not what it means to receive Christ in salvation. And yet some people believe that what it means to be a Christian is to have Jesus just live in their hearts as a distant roommate. They believe that they can have kind of this peaceful coexistence with Jesus who has no rights on how they live their lives. That, that Jesus can, can stay in the house as long as he doesn't disrupt things and change things into their lives. That's not what it means to receive Christ. What it means to receive Christ is to recognize all that Jesus is, to welcome all that he is, and to submit to all that he is in your life. I love how one uh, commentary put it this way. It says, if Jesus comes to you as Savior, you welcome his salvation. If he comes to you as leader, you welcome his leadership. If he comes to you as provider, you welcome his provision. If he comes to you as counselor, you welcome his counsel. If he comes to you as protector, you welcome his protection. If he comes to you as authority, you welcome his authority. If he comes to you as king, you welcome his rule. Look, to receive Jesus is to welcome him on his terms, not how you want him to be. Let me give you an example of what this doesn't look like. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, we have Jesus who is preaching in Nazareth. He's preaching a really good sermon, apparently, because in verse 16, we read that the people received him gladly. They received him gladly. But then it says in verse 22, all spoke well of him. Okay, really good sermon. They wandered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. But just a few verses later, in verse 28, it says that the people were filled with wrath, and they tried to throw him down a cliff. What happened? What was the difference there? Well, Jesus went from preaching the good news, and the Jewish people were excited about that, but then he starts talking about how the good news has come, not just for the Jewish people, but even for the Gentiles. Look, they didn't like that. They didn't like this Jesus, this version of Jesus. They wanted this peaceful coexistence with Jesus where they could make the Messiah be whoever they wanted him to be. And so as a result, they went from receiving him to rejecting him. Look, receiving Jesus means receiving all that he is, welcoming him into your life, your home, your parenting, your marriage, at school, at work, with your checkbook, at your, with your dreams, receiving all that he is and submitting to him and how he wants you to live. I wonder this morning, have you done that? Have you received Christ as king or have you received him just as a distant roommate in your heart? John tells us to receive him as he is. Secondly here, the second way that we become a child of God, he uses this idea of believing in his name. 
believing in his name. This word believe we've seen even last week. This is the second occurrence of 98 occurrences throughout this gospel. This is a a huge theme. In fact, this is the purpose of why John wrote this gospel. John chapter 20, we know that he wrote this so that we might believe in Jesus' name. He uses this all over the place in the gospel. For example, John chapter 6, verse 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Look, we learn a lot about what it means to believe in Jesus just from this verse alone. That what it means to believe in Jesus is to be satisfied with Jesus. That it's not just an intellectual agreement about who Jesus is, but it's viewing Jesus as the food that that we feast our souls upon. It's being satisfied with the bread of life. This idea of believing him shows up in John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 35 through 36 We'll see the light of the world in that chapter even more so. But Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. That the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Look, the result of receiving him and believing him John says you have a right now. He says you have a right to become a child of God. What does that mean? Well, this phrase, the right, this is a strong word which implies absolute power and certainty. That if you have received Jesus and believed in Jesus, you have this intimacy with God as your father now that the people in verses 10 and 11 simply do not have. The people who have rejected the light do not have a relationship with God that you have. Look, it's, it's the difference between when my four-year-old, who gets scared in the middle of the night, runs to my bed and jumps into my bed because she's afraid, and for me, I allow her to do that. Like, we have that type of relationship. She has that right because she's one of my children. Now, if one of you got scared in the middle of the night and drove to my house and knocked on the door and wanted to jump into bed with me, like, I'd be a little bit creeped out be weirded out. Like, you don't have that right. You're not one of my children. And the reality here is that because you've received Jesus and believed in Jesus, there is a foundation to your relationship with God that allows you to continue to walk in the light and to remove the darkness that might be creeping into your life. That you've got access to the God of the universe, to pray to him, to commune to him, to read the Bible, and his spirit helps you to understand it. That being a child of God means that you are part of the family of God. You have an assurance of your salvation that can never be taken away from you. Like receiving and believing in Jesus, this is not something that happens naturally. This is not something that you do on your own initiative. Verse 13 makes that clear. Rather, this is something that is supernatural. This is not something that we do on our own strength or by our own will. This is God's action, God's will in our lives, that we must be regenerated by the Spirit of Christ in order for us to receive and believe in Jesus to become a child of God. Look, the reality is, is that anything that you say, feel, think, or do that is Godward is not a byproduct of human engineering. 
but it is, in fact, a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So as I, as I close this morning, I, for those who have received the light of Christ, can I just remind you how much of a miracle it is that your eyes have been opened to seeing the beauty of Jesus? Can I, can I just encourage you today to not get over that miraculous work of God, to take your eyes that were blind, to seeing the eternal beauty of Jesus? Look, and it, can, I, can I also just challenge you today? So yes, don't get over that, but secondly, are there areas of your heart where darkness has started to creep in today? There are areas where you're not receiving the full light of Jesus. Maybe you've opened a door for darkness to creep into your life, maybe in your marriage, maybe in a, a relationship that you have, maybe in the, the sexual arena, maybe in, in how you talk, maybe in gossip. Are there areas of your life that you need to, to bring out of hiding and to expose it before God because the light of Christ is shining on it here today. Look right, right at me this morning. Is that you today? Do you need to make that step to confess it, to repent of it, and to turn from flirting with darkness in your light because you are a child of God today? And look, for those who you would say you, you've rejected the light of Christ, that today you identify as someone who is living in darkness. Like I just want to urge you, I want to call you today to receive and to believe in Jesus today. I want to urge you to come to the one who has bled and who has died for the sins that you have committed on the cross 2,000 years ago, to come to the one whose, whose well of grace never runs dry, to come to the one in all humility not trusting in yourself, not trusting in your own works, but trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Can I urge you today to, to make today the day of your salvation? Look, if you're here today and you want to do that, I would love to talk with you today. I'll be down here in the front. would love to engage with you in conversation and answer questions that you might have. But don't walk out of here today without doing business with the Lord. That God wants to move us from living in darkness to living in his wonderful lights. The light has been revealed. Let us receive the light and to continue walking in the light. Let's pray together. God, as we close this morning, Lord, we don't want to take your salvation, the work of our salvation for granted, God, whether we were converted at age four or we were converted last week, God, it is a miracle. God, we were dead in our sins. God, we had no hope. God, we could not save ourselves, and yet you pursued us. God, you tracked us down. You wrestled us to the ground. You gave us faith to believe in Jesus. And Lord, I know some stories in here are more dramatic than others, but we all share the same reality that that is a supernatural work of God. So God, we give you praise for that. God, we want that to allow our desires to increase for you that you've saved us. And God, there are people in this room where they need to experience that today for the first time. God, save them. God, open their blind eyes here in this moment. Help them to receive Jesus and to believe in him, we pray in his name.